Hello and welcome to this information podcast on psoriasis and tips for managing the skin symptoms that it can cause. This is Malbrook on behalf of BIRDS Patient and Public Engagement Programme and this podcast is going to be an additional episode to our Psoriatic Arthritis podcast series. In this episode, we want to recognise and talk about the skin issues that can be caused by psoriasis, a fairly common condition that can often precede psoriatic arthritis, sometimes but not always, and sometimes by years. Discovering you have a connected arthritis can come as a bit of a nasty surprise, so it's important for people with psoriasis to be aware that this is something that they could be at risk of developing. So if you're a person with psoriasis who's listening to this and experiencing things like swollen fingers or toes or struggling with joint pains, it could be worth your listening to the rest of the Psoriatic Arthritis podcast and perhaps consider speaking to your GP or healthcare provider. This podcast is not intended to be a deep dive into psoriasis, although we do want to cover some of the basics. It's mainly aimed at being an informative source of support for skin symptom management. For now, you can listen along to a conversation with myself and Dr Charlotte Gollins, who is a dermatology registrar and a clinical research fellow at the Royal National Hospital for Rheumatic Diseases at the RUH in Bath. We're going to talk about some of the things that you can do to help self-manage and alleviate your psoriasis skin symptoms. Hello Charlotte, it's great to have you here today and I think this is going to be a really helpful and useful podcast for people with psoriatic arthritis to listen to, so thank you. Well hello Mel, thank you very much for inviting me to be on this podcast. I agree, I think it's going to be very useful, everything that we're going to talk about today. No, it's our pleasure. Um, I think it's probably a good idea if we do start by giving people a bit more background about yourself, you know, who you are, what you do and the kind of things you get involved in. Yeah, so I'm a dermatology registrar, um, which means that I'm a, a doctor who works in dermatology and has started my uh, specialist training. So I'm working towards becoming a consultant. I'm not quite yet there yet. Um, and I've been doing my rotations in Bristol and Bath and so have been working in, at the RUH hospital in Bath um, since February. Um, at the moment as well, I'm also working as a clinical research fellow. So I've taken some time out of my formal training to focus a bit more on research and um, for me the particular area of research I'm looking at is um, psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis which is why I've been working quite a lot more with the rheumatologists at the RNHRD. Fantastic and we've worked together on a few other kind of like side initiatives and projects to do with psoriatic arthritis and psoriasis haven't we in the link? Yes yeah exactly. So before we start talking about the skin and management tips as part of this podcast, can we just talk through a bit of the background of psoriasis and the kinds of things like the different types you get and how it links to psoriatic arthritis? Yes, absolutely. So um, psoriasis is a uh, an inflammatory skin condition um, and there are different types of it. I think most of this podcast will be focused towards the most common type, which is called chronic plaque psoriasis. Um, but I'll just quickly go over the other the other types now for you. Um, so with with 
chronic plaque psoriasis, when I say it's an inflammatory skin condition, it means that there's areas of inflammation with the skin. And um, in, in chronic plaque psoriasis, it presents as uh, plaques of scaly red skin. And um, they there are typical areas that these can be on the body, um, although it can be quite extensive in some cases. So they typically tend to be on elbows, um, knees, in the scalp, and uh, can be in, in the genital area, but can cover other parts of the body as well as that. Um, it's caused uh, partly by the immune system in the skin, which leads to the inflammation forming um, and the, the redness in those patches. And it also leads to um, over proliferation of the skin cells. So they develop more quickly than they normally would, which creates all of the scaly extra skin on the, on the top of the skin on these patches. Mm -hmm. um, so partly it's the immune system causing this, but we also know that there's a genetic connection with psoriasis. And we know that about 40% of people with psoriasis uh, have other family members who are affected. So that means that genes are passed down within the family that make you more predisposed to getting this condition. But we know that it's not only the genes um, that, that cause it because not everyone with family members with psoriasis goes on to develop it themselves. And it's also partly environmental factors. And I think there, there's a lot that we don't yet know about what causes it, but those, uh, those things combine to create the psoriasis that we see. Um, other types of psoriasis that you may have heard of or come across um, include one called guttate psoriasis. So that tends to be a more um, acute form of psoriasis that happens most often after an infection, like, a, like an upper respiratory tract, so a cough or cold type infection. And you get smaller patches that tend to be on, on the body, on the trunk. Um, and that comes on relatively quickly and can fade quite quickly. And sometimes people who develop guttate psoriasis don't ever have it again. Um, you can also develop more rarely something called pustular psoriasis, where you have little pustules, which are tiny little sort of pinheads full of what looks like pus, but it's not an infection um, on the skin. And sometimes that can occur across the body, which um, when that happens, it's caused, called generalized pustular psoriasis, and that can be quite dangerous. Uh, there's also a more um, localized pustular psoriasis that you can get on hands and feet only. Um, and then there's a subtype of psoriasis called erythrodermic psoriasis, which really means that you're just red and scaly all over. It covers more than 90% of the body. And again, that's a relative medical emergency. Um, so mm -hmm. you'd be quite unwell with that. Um, so those are, those are the different subtypes. Yeah, thank general. you for that. I think it's useful to just sort of like go through and like you said, they probably all necessitate different kinds of treatments, but we're talking mainly about topical treatments and self-management type treatments that exactly can access as, as to try and help people with their skin symptoms. Yes. So it's quite common in my understanding is that it's quite common for people with um, psoriasis to go on and develop psoriatic arthritis which is why we're doing this as part of our PSA series do, do we have any kind of like stats or figures on that so we do the numbers do vary in different different reports but it's felt that up to about one in five people with psoriasis go on to develop psoriatic arthritis um, and we know that psoriasis itself is quite a common condition when it's just simply skin psoriasis with about one to two percent of the population having it. So, um, yes, as, as I say, about one in five people can go on to develop psoriatic arthritis mm -hmm. and they're related conditions um, in that they're both caused by the immune system. And um, but, but you don't necessarily have to have one 
to develop the other. Um, in about 80% of cases, people have the skin changes first and then develop joint changes for the psoriatic arthritis. Um, but then in 20% of cases, people either develop both at the same time or have the joint changes first and then later on develop skin changes. Mm. And that's part of the awareness, isn't it? Because that might be that you've got psoriasis in your family. So genetically, there might be a psoriasis link somewhere within the family um, so it's worth sort of keeping these things on the radar, isn't it, that you might get the joint. Exactly. It's very useful. It's useful to know the link between the two conditions mm. in case you do develop some symptoms, which um, you wonder whether they could be related to, to psoriatic arthritis. And you can mm. speak to your GP or your um, dermatologist about that. Yeah, I think so. And, and with autoimmune diseases, it's not predictable, is it? things can flare up and down so you can get that with your skin too can't you can get worsening of skin and then yes exactly exactly so um in terms of when you first develop it people tend to in terms of psoriasis people tend to develop psoriasis um on the whole either in their 20s and 30s or in their 50s and 60s there are two peaks when they first develop a flare mm. and once you've got chronic plaque psoriasis it's it's common for the severity of it of it to go up and down over time as you say in, with flares mm. sometimes there are things that are that have particularly triggered that um, and often people find um, for example if they have a lot of stress in their lives that can trigger it but then there are other things that we can pinpoint that, that are triggers for example some particular medications like um, uh, beta blockers or some anti-malarials can make psoriasis worse um, sometimes other infections and also we know trauma to the skin can cause something it's called the curbness phenomenon but it just means that psoriasis develops in an area where your skin's been injured for example if you've had surgery people might recognize that they've had they developed psoriasis within that within their scar right so and there's other environmental factors aren't there that can act as kind of um, additional triggers to make things worse so say in winter there's things like you you know you're indoors a lot you've got the central heating on or you know the air's dry that that can aggravate things can't it yes having sort of a drier environment especially with the central heating on um does it tends to make your skin overall drier and can aggravate aggravate things and it's um we also know that sort of in the summer when you're getting a little bit more uv light to the skin things are better so obviously the the reverse can be true in the winter as well so that has some impact Mm. I was going to ask you about the sunshine because I know I've heard lots of people say that you know oh, it's really good for my skin but I guess there's also that balance between being very careful we you know we're all aware about things like skin cancers these days and exactly yes from, from a dermatology point of view we would definitely not advise lying out in the sun for your psoriasis although we know that it it can help to some extent we give um one of the treatments and I think we'll be touching on other treatments for psoriasis later on uh, one treatment that we give in dermatology is phototherapy or light therapy but with that it's a very specific wavelength of light that helps to treat the psoriasis and we know that with full sunlight you get a lot a sort of much broader spectrum of uh, wavelength of light which can then cause the more damaging side effects like sun damage and skin cancer later down the line so so yes we would say be, make sure you're careful in the sun yeah as nice as it is to get out there and yes <laughs> So before we move on to the treatments again, we can just touch on the kinds of impacts that having the skin condition has for people. So, you know, because there is there is variations in the severities of it and the types like we've talked about less common areas. But 
there can be quite a lot of um emotional impacts as well as physical impacts can't there for people yes absolutely and um so in, when we are in dermatology, we tend to see the patients with the more severe disease, but there's a huge spectrum of people with psoriasis from just having a few very small patches and plaques to having much more extensive disease. And I, we also find that um, it, the extent of the disease doesn't necessarily correlate with how much it's impacting your life. You can have small areas, but they can be in particularly prominent spaces, for example, or in, in more sensitive areas of the body, which can have a real impact on, um, on your mental well-being and your self-esteem. Um, and I think part of that is that there's still a sort of lack of knowledge among the general population about what this condition is. And, and people might feel that there's some stigmatization of them because of these skin changes and uh, because of the scaliness of the skin, which is, um, you know, I think as trying to raise a bit more awareness about that, and especially through BIRD, is, is really useful so that more people can understand that it's not something you can catch. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a sort of infectious skin disease. Um, but yes, it can, it can have a huge impact on people's, on people's lives. Mm. And more so on the people who who don't understand it and don't know what it is. I think um, you know you can be stigmatised. You're absolutely right. People can look at you yeah. with your skin issues and think you've got something that's contagious. So there is there's a broader awareness need there, isn't there? Really, and I think I'm I'm yeah. seeing that happen. There's some great organisations out there which we'll we'll link to later as well. Yes, absolutely. Do you think people are unaware of what's available to treat their skin today? Because I know, I mean, from my own experience, you know, there used to be some really horrible, smelly, messy treatments. And I, I wonder whether or not, you know, people are aware of just how much there is nowadays out there that you could be using. I think um, I think you're probably right. And if someone's had psoriasis for a long time or decades, and they may have felt that they tried all the creams and they didn't make much difference, or that they were, you know, very difficult and tricky and smelly to use in the past. But actually, we have got lots of different options that um, it's worth trying. Newer treatment options available that potentially weren't weren't available in the past. So, so yes, I think sometimes it can be difficult to find this information yourself. And if you haven't, if you've sort of given up a bit of hope and haven't seen your GP in a while because you think there might not be anything there for you, it's worth having another discussion with them to see what mm. they can offer. Um, but but there is a, there's a lot out there, and I think one useful um, source of information would be uh, the British Association of Dermatologists have got an information leaflet on topical treatments for psoriasis, which is something that you might want to have a read of yeah we can link to that I'm sure we can find a link to that and, and we're not going to talk about prescribed treatments today things that you would have to have through your GP we're going to try and focus on the things that people can do to self-manage aren't we we are I think some of we'll probably touch on some things that do need to be prescribed um, but often if you can get those on your repeat prescription with GPs then it's more about you having access to the topical treatments so the creams and ointments that you need and being able to use them in a, in a way that works for you um, so so some things some things over the counter and some things that, that do need a prescription okay great okay so if we maybe start to talk about the kinds of things that people can do what is um, an ideal kind of daily routine for people who have psoriasis skin issues what kinds of things can they use what should they be doing yes so I think first of all it's it's a sort of the standard basics day-to-day -day things that you can be doing I think um, moisturizer is really important so or emollients as we call them in dermatology and finding one that works for your skin 
um, is, is really important. There are different um, types of moisturiser and um, I will probably mention some brand names as we're going along. It's not to particularly uh, promote those brands. It's more as I'm going to give some examples, but but there are lots of things out there. So with uh, with moisturizers, you can get much lighter, thinner ones. Uh, so creams and lotions, and they have a higher water content and a lower oil content, or you get much thicker ones. And often they're they're called ointments um, and they have more oil and less water. So that's the difference between them. So the ointments do take do take a bit longer to sink in um, and some people like that some people don't like that um, so it's worth trying a range of these different sort of different thicknesses of creams to see what works for you um, sometimes and I would definitely aim to moisturize at least once a day if not a couple of times a day if possible so after a shower every day and that just helps the um, helps your skin helps reduce any scaliness that could be there and that is good for the skin integrity so I would say always you know start with a moisturizer as the basis of your skin skin regime mm. um, and then moving on from that often it's quite useful to try and avoid soaps and shower gels because they can be quite drying to the skin so again increasing the dryness that's there and um, you know slightly increasing the irritation and so we uh, term alternatives as soap substitutes um, so really you can use a lot of the moisturizers that you would be using as a standard moisturizer as your soap substitution there are different ways to be able to use those in a bath and in a shower um, you can either for, for thinner ones you could either just use them as you would a shower gel so you put them on whilst you're in the shower wash it off some people prefer to cover their body in the um, moisturizer before before they go into the shower or bath and then wash it off when they get in there um, Alternatives, if you're using a thick moisturiser like an ointment that you don't think um, will be able to wash off very easily, you can mix that with a little bit of hot water in a cup um, and put that on in the same way that you would a shower gel. So it's, it's increasing the moisture that your skin's getting and stopping you from having the drying effects of soaps. Mm. Um, and that can be really useful just as sort of a day to day basic thing to do. Mm, I wouldn't have thought of putting things on before the shower. That, that seems counterintuitive, but now you've said it, it does make sense. It can be quite good if people find um, that the shower or hot water stings the areas of psoriasis. And so if you have it on before, it provides that slight barrier to make it a bit more comfortable for you. So that's, that's just one way of using it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And of course, the only other thing you've got to be really careful about in that sort of situation is, is not getting a, a slippery yeah. shower basin or bath or something. You've got to be really careful, haven't you, with all that? Exactly, exactly. It can make things quite slippy. So making sure there's a mat down uh, for you to stand on when, you, when you're doing that. Yeah, absolutely. So a big part of this is finding something that works for you, isn't it? You mentioned that uh, earlier on, you know, finding the cream or... Um, the ointment or the way of managing your skin that's going to be comfortable because otherwise you're just going to ditch it aren't you you're not going to keep up with it and that's a really important part of keeping the skin symptoms down as much as possible from what you're saying yes exactly so what we've talked about so far are uh, sort of standard things that you can do every day whether or not you've got a flare which can help to keep things at bay mm. and then what you need to have in your back pocket is when the psoriasis does flare up and um, how you can help to manage that when it when it comes up um, so obviously it does depend which part of your body you're getting the psoriasis on um, so if we're generally talking about psoriasis on the trunk um, so on, on your chest and, and abdomen and um, arms and, and on your arms and legs as well then often 
what will be prescribed for your flare would be something containing a little bit of topical steroid and often something else. So we have things called vitamin D analogs, um, which work really well for psoriasis. So for example, Enstelar foam or Dovabet, which may be products that uh, people have heard of before. They help when you get a flare of psoriasis. And the way to use those would be to put them directly on the patches of psoriasis and use them once a day for a couple of weeks until things settle down. Other things that can be used when, when you get a flare for the scaly red areas would be uh, salicylic acid, um, which can be added in with some topical steroids or um, cold tar solutions like Exorax. And you use these when it, when it flares up, as I say, for a couple of weeks until things settle down. And then it's useful to either wean down those types of creams before switching to something that you're using as a maintenance product. Uh, so between flares, and ideally uh, that wouldn't contain a topical steroid regularly. Um, it's good when you're using topical steroids to use them as you need to, and then have a bit of a break uh, before using them again. So things that you could use for maintenance would be um, vitamin D analogs by themselves without any, um, without any steroid in. So an example would be Dovanex or um, there's a there's a different uh, type of cream called calcineurin inhibitors. Uh, so protopic is an example of that, and that can be used a couple of times a week um, in between flares. And then if things flare up again, then you can go back to trying uh, the the products with a little bit of topical steroid in too. So these kind of shorter terms and ointments, these are good for flare ups. And you're you're talking about things like the, when you've got a lot of scaling or a lot of redness and things. Yes. Like kind of like right up there with the worst symptoms that you you mm. know experience with them aren't they um can you explain what a vitamin d analog is what does that mean so it's it's got a similar structure to vitamin d and we don't know exactly how it works on the skin but we know that it does help it has an anti-inflammatory effect on the skin so people sometimes ask because of that would taking oral vitamin d also help in the same way and um, I don't think we've got studies that actually show that but it's always useful to make sure you've got adequate vitamin d uh, for general body health anyway so for example in the winter um, it's recommended I think by the uh, by nice that everyone takes a vitamin d supplement anyway um, but but these are sort of topical creams that that have a product in that do help with the inflammatory effects of the psoriasis that's very interesting thank you and we also talked about, I think you mentioned something called salicylic acid. What, what's that? So that helps to um, that helps to break down some of the more scaly areas. So it can be really useful on thicker plaques and very scaly plaques. So sometimes people find that they get quite thick plaques on their legs or shins and that um, it can help just to break down the, the, the extra skin that's there a little bit more. Um, so, so that can be useful as an addition. Yeah, it's really interesting to know these things, I think, because then it helps you to choose which one you need to be getting, doesn't it? Mm, so exactly. If you're someone who gets psoriasis particularly badly in their scalp, there are, there are some different products that you can also use. There are a few ointments um, that actually you can probably um, buy over the counter instead of needing to be prescribed. So there's one called Cocoas ointment or Sebco ointment, and these have a bit of some of some of the products that we've discussed before. So some salicylic acid in them, some coconut oil, and the way that you can use them is to put them 
in the scalp, leave them overnight, put them on the areas of psoriasis and then wash them off in the morning. And having that extra bit of time uh, with those products on the skin, on the scalp, again, helps to break down, break down some of the scale. So you would put it on, sort of brush through your hair in the morning to get to help settle that down and then, then wash it off. Um, and then if the feeling of um, quite thick ointments is something that you don't particularly like on your scalp and that, that can be quite common, then we would tend to recommend using thinner um, products, for example, Betnovate lotion, which is just a topical steroid by itself, but in a lotion, which is thinner and you can more easily spread it onto the areas of psoriasis in the scalp. Um, so that's, that's sort of a slightly different approach to a different part of the skin, really. Mm. It's interesting that you mentioned coconut oil. I mean, this is something that people quite often use to cook with nowadays. Is it the same as mm-hmm. or do you have to buy hair coconut oil? So that, so that those two um, products actually contain it in them. But using a bit of coconut oil on thicker, scaly areas of the scalp would probably also be absolutely fine. It's, it's sort of a different type of moisturising oil. Um, so really, it's the same. It's the same thing, but just um, in a slightly different formula. Uh, when you make your hair nice and shiny then exactly and smell nice (laughs) yeah absolutely I mean it's good to make that distinction though um and I'm thinking that um you mentioned is it Betnovate the Mm. the scalp application that could sometimes be a bit stingy if you've scratched a bit of your psoriasis Mm. so maybe people just need to be careful not to use it if they've exactly um, if you've got sort of an open area or a raw area um i would avoid it Mm. it's one thing to do is to try it on a small area of skin first so there's no harm in just trying it behind your ear for example see how you tolerate it and that's the same with any of these products that you're using if you're not sure about it all um, you're worried that it might be stinging, then try it on a small area first of all before trying it on a large area. I'm guessing that um, using some of these shampoos as well, you mentioned ear there as well, you can get psoriasis sort of in mm. in your ear that actually using some of those shampoos might, because you're washing your hair, say, might yeah. your ears as well, mightn't it? Exactly. So I would say, you know, externally with the ears, it would be fine to sort of rub the shampoo on. If you If you find that you get quite a lot of scaliness further down in the air and deeper in the air I would have a chat to your GP before attempting to use anything in there or, or your dermatologist um, we do sometimes uh, recommend some thinner topical steroid products to use there but but definitely have a chat to someone before that mm, yeah because it's a sensitive area isn't it and also I guess you mm. you risk damaging your hearing and you know putting stuff in there can create wax and build yeah. up and yeah exactly you've just got to be careful yeah, absolutely. And it is kind of a sensitive area. So what would you use for really sensitive areas? Because I know some people can get psoriasis around their genitals and really intimate sort of tender areas. Yeah, absolutely. So that's actually very common. So between a third and two thirds of people with psoriasis at some point in their lives will have some involvement in the genital area. So um, that can mean sort of in the vulval area around the scrotum and can extend up between between the buttocks as well and can be quite sore and irritating. And um, obviously that clearly can have a big impact on relationships and and self-esteem as well. Mm -hmm. So it's an area that can be treated and it's um, something that should be discussed with with a doctor as well um, if if that's something that you're troubled by I think um, sometimes it 
might be missed from a consultation unless it's specifically asked about because people can be embarrassed that they've got that they've got that type of psoriasis but as I say it's, it's very common and we're very com we're very used to seeing it as, as skin doctors and we prefer to discuss what you can do with it so in, in general what should be used are um, milder products um, so moisturizers overall are tend to be fine um, and some are better tolerated than others. Um, for example, 50-50 ointment, which is a paraffin-based ointment, if, you, if you're someone who can tolerate paraffin, is very, very mild. And uh, we would say to use the moisturizer down there, both as a barrier and to, to sort of help the skin integrity. And then sometimes people will prescribe mild topical steroids. Um, so you shouldn't really be using very strong topical steroids in those areas unless you've been otherwise advised to. Um, and you can use some of the other creams and treatments I've discussed. Um, but again, so, so things like uh, Protopic, um, which can sting sometimes. So, so again, you've got to be quite careful with it. One of the vitamin D analogues called Calcitriol, you can use, but uh, which the brand name is Silkis Ointment. But for any of these, I would definitely have a discussion with your, uh, with your doctor, first of all, about how to use them in the correct way. Absolutely. So we talked about psoriasis in the winter. So people really, they should avoid things like sunbeds, having given the conversation we had about. Absolutely. I would say avoid sunbeds. Um, we, we know that light that you're getting from sunbeds has more damaging effects and um, we don't want to see you in skin cancer clinic in the years to come in dermatology so we're very strict on that really from our point of view. Um, I know that I was uh, looking quite recently I know that you can actually hire phototherapy units and some people might be tempted to do that. Um, I think I, I again wouldn't recommend that but if if you do it's making sure that you're very careful with the product that you're hiring do your research and I would definitely use it within the very specified way that um, they will be advising with their products if you do end up doing any phototherapy at home make sure you keep a clear note of how strong it was and how many times you used it and for how long each time and that's that's because if in the future you come to need phototherapy in a dermatology unit we like to know how much phototherapy someone has previously had in the past um, because we know that the all of the risks, so risks um, including skin cancer and photo aging or skin aging, they increase with the with the increased number of treatments that you have. So um, again, I you know I wouldn't really uh, advise it unless in your, in your particular area, which is the case that in some places in the UK, your um, dermatology unit can provide UV treatments at home. Um, but yeah, so, so but definitely avoid avoid the sort of generic sunbeds really. Yeah. Um, other, th other things you can do in the winter to help your skin. So we were talking before about how the dryness of central heating can make things worse. So for example, having a humidifier in your bedroom or even just putting a bowl of water next to um, next to your radiator helps to humidify the room slightly so it can so it can help make things a bit better with your skin making sure you're using lots and lots of moisturizers um, so I'm sort of you know repeating record on that but it, but it does make a difference yeah um, wearing non-irritating clothing so so um, if you can sort of cotton clothing and if you find wool for example irritating you know I'm sure people would anyway but try to avoid it mm -hmm. um, and if you are having a big flare, make sure you make sure you speak to your doctor. Yeah. I mean, you can get lots of um, 
kind of undergarments now that if you want to really want to wear your jumpers and then you're on the Mitchie, you can wear something underneath. So there's mm-hmm. lots of things. And I know a lot of people share these kinds of tips on forums and, and in peer support groups and things like that. So it's always useful to think about talking to other people to get your daily. And uh, I mean, are there other things that people can do generally? So, you know, obviously healthy lifestyle, um, mm. diet, alcohol, all that kind of stuff, keeping that in check and balance and yes, as well as you can. Yes, exactly. Um, we get, again, get asked about diet and psoriasis a lot. And we don't have um, real evidence that following any restrictive diets makes any makes much difference but we do know that having a generally healthy mediterranean style diet um, so low uh, low sugars um, eating lots of fruit and vegetable um, reducing fat where you can definitely can help and um, we know that people who are overweight or obese in general tend to have psoriasis which can be worse so it, it may be the case that um if you are able to lose some weight, that that may help your skin. And we do know that um, in some cases, people find that alcohol can trigger their psoriasis. So, again, it's, it's cutting down on the units um, and making sure you're definitely within the recommended limits of the government, which is 14 units a week for men and women these days. And with smoking as well, we know that that for some people can impact their psoriasis and so cutting down or quitting if that's possible. Um, So all of these really are sort of uh, general guidelines for healthy living, really. But but we know that they do have some impact on on skin disease as well. Absolutely. And I'm sure we could do whole podcasts on things like diet and gut health Mm. and kinds of really interesting topics, but we won't we won't do that today. Um, one other thing that I have heard people say has helped them, not something that everybody could do, but is bathing in the sea or using dead sea salts in the baths and things like that. Are those things that you think might help? So I don't think we have anything that's, that definitively says that, but I think if people find that it's helping their skin, I would encourage it. Um, it's not going to be doing any harm. And um, I think, yes, I think it's something that that if you're finding it's working for you then I would definitely encourage you to carry on doing that Mm, absolutely okay well we'll put some links to lots of other bits and bobs in the show notes I think or anything else we find and point people in the direction of other organizations that can give advice like the psoriasis association Mm. and um, PAPA the Mm. the psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis alliance and do we want to touch on just the kinds of things that people can get in terms of stronger medications, the prescription things, if they're having a really bad time with their skin and maybe with their joints? Yes, absolutely. So um, as I say, in dermatology, we see the uh, people with psoriasis who haven't been able to be managed in uh, primary care by their GPs because things have, things are too extensive or, or too difficult or are just not responding well to topicals. And when we get... Um, people with skin at that point there are lots of different things that we can actually offer these days um, some of the treatments have been around for a long time so things like light therapy actually has been around for a long time so that's that can be quite useful um, the way that that works is someone comes into our dermatology unit um, a couple of times a week and you tend to have to do that for a few months to help to settle down or clear the skin um, but obviously you know anything we do has some side effects um, but light therapy is one thing where you don't have to be having regular blood tests so some people like it for that reason also it can be quite useful for example if you're pregnant or trying for a baby and don't want to be taking any tablets um, and it's useful for um, 
moderate psoriasis, which isn't isn't very very severe, um, but but you feel like you need something extra on top of the cream. So that so that's a that's an extra adjunct. And there's there are two types of light therapy that can be used: so UVB and PUVA, and both of these could be discussed, uh, you know, with you with the dermatologist. And then after that, we move on to um, systemic treatments and by systemic we mean anything that you're taking either as a tablet or, or having injections of so something that's going into your body. Uh, a few systemic treatments that um, generally work to suppress the immune system to some extent and that's because psoriasis is being caused by the immune system overreacting um, and some of them we've had for a very long time like methotrexate and there's another one called cyclosporin. Um, and fumaric acid esters. So these are all tablets that people can take for their psoriasis. And um, there's a different tablet called acetretin, which is le has less impact on the immune system. Um, and each of these have a slightly different way of working and a different side effect profile. So if you get to the point where you need tablets like this, then, then they would all be discussed and the appropriate one for you uh, could be discussed with, with your doctor, with your dermatologist. Um, some of these, are also used to treat psoriatic arthritis. So it depends whether you just have skin involvement or if you have joint involvement. So inflammation and swelling of your joints um, with psoriatic arthritis, you can also get, we call it dactylitis, which means swelling of your fingers or toes. Um, you can get inflammation of the tendons going into your joints. Um, which is called enthesitis, and you can get nail involvement. Um, and so really the choice of treatment will depend on which of these areas is affecting you the most and, and also your background, um, whether you've got any other medical problems. And that all goes into the choice of treatment. And beyond the treatments I've talked about, we have over the past 20 years had a real explosion of new treatments for psoriasis, which um, have made a huge impact on people's lives, psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. Um, and these are called biologic therapies. And um, they're a bit more targeted in the, the way that they work. They target the specific pathway within the immune system that's causing the psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis. All of them are given by injection. Um, and again, they have slightly different mechanisms of working and slightly different side effect profiles, um, but they can work very well for patients. Mm -hmm. And these are all things that you can talk through if you if you get files, you know, refers to rheumatology and things like that. Exactly, exactly. So either dermatology and rheumatology both prescribe them. Um, and sometimes we work together to work out what the best option is for a, a person or a patient um, if they have both skin and joint disease. Yeah, so there is in some places things called combined clinics, isn't there? I'm not sure if everybody will have heard that term. And this is where someone can be seen by a dermatologist and a rheumatologist at the same time. Are these mm -hmm. are these things that are available around the country as far as you know, or is it? It might not be available in every hospital. Mm. Um, and um, there are different ways of, of doing a combined clinic. So sometimes it is a physical clinic where you have both the dermatologist and rheumatologist there. Mm. Um, in some places, they have more of a team meeting uh, regularly every couple of months or so to discuss their joint patients and then you'd be seen separately by one or the other in clinic um, and sometimes dermatologists and rheumatologists will uh, contact each other through email or letters between appointments because there isn't a, a formal combined clinic set up so there will be different different ways of working in different areas of the country um, 
we are lucky at the IUH to have one here that happens um, once every two months for patients with psoriatic arthritis and psoriasis. Um, and the patients that tend to end up in that clinic are those with very severe disease who have both joint and skin involvement. And sometimes it's patients who haven't responded very well to lots of different treatments. And so it's making sure that we can put our heads together and, and choose the right next treatment for them, for example. Um, so, so yes, it's, it, it's not necessarily the case that everyone will need a combined clinic, but um, uh, they, they can be useful. That sounds really useful. And we talked about this this awareness, the need for people with psoriasis alone at a stage in their life to be aware that they may get some inflammatory joint impacts. Are people with psoriasis routinely asked about their joints? I mean, as a dermatologist, I would think you're doing that. But if they are, they're not under a dermatologist, mm. is it likely that anyone would make that connection for them? I think it, it will vary. Um, ideally, people with psoriasis would be asked um, when they initially get the diagnosis if they have any of the relevant symptoms, and then once a year, if if not more. But um, evidently, some people with psoriasis won't be needing to see their GP once a year. They'll just be man- self-managing with, with the creams that they have. Um, and so there might not uh, be the occasion to ask. And it, it will also depend on, on knowledge. Um, but but yeah, so I think having having some awareness of what to look out for yourself is is uh, is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be as we've touched on, so swelling and pain in joints, and actually it can affect any joints. And there are different patterns with psoriatic arthritis. So sometimes it can affect the smaller joints, for example, in your fingers and toes, sometimes joints like the knees and elbows. And some people have involvement of their lower back um, and that can be more stiffness and pain as opposed to swelling. So if you do feel that you're getting any symptoms like that, then definitely speak to the GP or your dermatologist. Um, And the other symptoms that we had also touched on were unusual swelling and it's of the fingers and toes and normally that's a single digit so a single finger or toe that suddenly becomes very swollen and red and that I think is something that people would be able to spot themselves um, because it's quite unusual for that to happen without anything like a preceding injury um, and highlighting it and in terms of referral on to rheumatology so either the dermatologist is able to do that but the GPs can also refer to rheumatology directly. Right okay I would say to people listening to go and listen to all the psoriatic arthritis podcasts in this series as well, because that might give them some more information and awareness. Absolutely. Yes, we only sort of briefly touched on things there, but that would be really useful, I think. Yeah, brilliant. So we've mentioned a couple of places where people can find good sources of information and we'll pop some links in the show notes and and anything else that we can we can pop down there. And Bird next year are planning another PSA webinar, which is not going to be focused on skin specifically, but we do tend to touch on skin and issues. So if people are interested in that, they can always go to our website um, and sign up for the notifications. I think that's a, a really useful platform, especially for people maybe who haven't been diagnosed very long. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a nice little interactive uh, information option for people to join in on. And then in terms of research, we'll keep in touch. And if there's any news we can share with our network, we will share that news as well. Well, we've covered quite a lot today. I think we've had a decent amount of background information and lots of tips there that you've shared. Thanks ever so much, Charlotte. I think that will be really useful to people. I hope so. And thank you very much for having me.
Um, and hopefully we'll speak to you again, possibly see you on one of our webinars and in future podcasts. Yes, absolutely. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you to today's guest, Dr. Charlotte Gollins. We hope you have found this bonus episode to our Psoriatic Arthritis podcast series interesting and informative. Remember, there are lots of different ways you can use topical treatments mentioned today. You can use them as recommended by your healthcare provider or find a routine that works best for you. It's not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. And just to say again that we're not endorsing any of the brand names mentioned today, but we wanted to give some good examples of the kinds of things out there and to point you in the direction of those kinds of products. If you do want to learn more about psoriasis in greater detail, there's lots more information available on websites of organisations such as the Psoriasis Association and the Psoriasis and Psoriatic Arthritis Alliance, or PAPA for short, and we're going to pop some links in the show notes. If you haven't already checked them out, please do listen to our whole podcast series about psoriatic arthritis. Patients have been giving us some great feedback since release and saying how useful they have found them, and we hope that will be the same for you too. You can find all our rheumatology information podcasts via our website, which is www.birdbath.org.uk and on many other popular listening platforms. Bird are committed to helping patients increase knowledge about rheumatic conditions because we know this can have a really positive impact on living with them. We also have a great focus on enabling people to get involved in rheumatology research to help make sure that new medications and treatments meet the needs of patients. We couldn't do any of this without the help of our volunteers and the support of our donors and sponsors, all of whom we are immensely grateful to. You can sign up to be notified about all our podcasts and our patient engagement research opportunities by joining our mailing list. Just send an email to admin at birdbath.org.uk. The address and links are in the show notes. (music) 